I think there's something in the heart of God that isn't happy when his kids hurt his other kids. When his kids don't love his other kids. When his kids neglect his other kids. And, uh, and this morning I'm going to highlight something which I really believe is going to be helpful. This is something which uh, could be the most liberating message you hear this year, quite honestly. If you can take it in and absorb it. Now, I want to speak about this thing. Just love. Just love. Just love. That's it. Not love and. Not love and. This is just love. I know that many of us in this room have heard many messages on love. I know I've preached many messages on love. I know that people have heard it and they go, yes, 1 Corinthians 13, we get it. Love is patient, love is kind. We've heard all about love. Love people. Um, That's what the Bible tells us to do. That's what God tells us to do. We get it. What are you going to tell us that we don't know about love? Well, this message has the potential to change the way that you think about your relationship with God. It has the potential to actually change the way that you interact with people in your family, in your workplace, school, or your community. And what I'm doing now and what I'm going to do this morning is push against something that's creeping into our Christianity. I'm pushing against something that is, that is against the way that Jesus says we need to be. Every religion in the world, present and past, and you can do your historical studies on this, you're going to find a few things that are common denominators in all those religions. You're going to find sacred texts, be it hieroglyphics or scrolls or parchments or whatever it might be. There's going to be sacred texts. There's going to be sacred places. Places that people gather to meet, places that people, people pilgrimage to. There's going to be sacred people who deliver and speak about the sacred texts in the sacred places. Those sacred people are always men. I didn't make the rules. That's just how it worked. Okay? They always seem to be men, historically. And, uh, and the fourth common denominator is that you're going to have followers. You're going to have sincere followers that follow. That's what every religion in the past and, and certainly in the present as well, have inside of them. And every religion, we gauge how well we're doing with God on certain things that we are doing or not doing. That's how they all work. There isn't an exception to that rule. Are we, me and God, okay? Well, that depends on what you've done or what you haven't done. Now, here's the problem. That mindset has crept into our Christianity. Now, we'd like to pretend that it hasn't, and we believe in grace and mercy and faith and all these things, but slowly that whole concept and idea of a sacred place and a man of God and meeting in the church and sacred texts and devout followers, those things creep in, and and, and what do I need to do for me and God to be okay? Now, we may not say that, but that's the way we live. Jesus came and he introduced a new movement. He introduced a new covenant, a new way of relating between God and, pe- and, and people. He introduced a new commandment. He created and started this new movement. And when Jesus launched his model, this is the important thing, he didn't blend. It wasn't, he didn't pull his teachings in and then pull in the old ways of doing religion. He didn't blend it. He came and he said, 
no longer this, this is what we're now about. And he changed the system completely. And we've all blended the old and the new way to some degree. Let me give you a couple of examples here which might help you to identify this even in yourself. When you feel guiltier for missing church than you do for when you treat someone poorly at your workplace, that's a blend. When you feel guiltier for missing church, when this is a problem, oh, I've missed church, but I actually don't care that I just swore at that guy in the traffic just now. Then you've blended. Then you've got a system of, are me and God okay? Yes or no? Okay, no, we seem to be fine. Forget about that situation that happened there. It's a blend. When you, this, here's another one. When you sit around and think about how close I can get to sin without crossing the line, let's be honest, all of us have done that. How close can I possibly get? And what you're saying is this, I really want to sin, I really want to do this thing, but I don't want to tick God off. I don't want to make him upset. I don't want to, I don't want to cross the line so far that God starts doing ugly stuff to me. And people would ask me, and I'm sure people have asked you, and maybe you've even asked the question, you know, is this a sin? If I do this, you know, I'm not quite sure. Is this a sin or isn't this a sin? And what you're saying is, how close can I get to the line? Well, that's a blend. Because what you're, what you're actually asking is, are me and God going to be okay if I do this thing? And Jesus came and radically changed that. The last thing, what can I do to make myself right with God without having to make things right with someone else? You know, in some denominations and in some cultures, some religions nowadays, you know, you can just go and you can say a magic prayer and your sins can go away. And there's no consequence for what what has actually happened between you and the other person. You've come to God and you've said the prayer and you know you're forgiven and grace covers over all things. And and all you want to know is uh, me and God are okay, right? Okay. And God's saying, yeah, we're okay, but that person's not okay. But we think, what can I do to make myself right with God without having to make myself right with other people? That's a blend. That's a blend of old and the Jesus movement, where you want to do the right thing, but you also want to make sure that you and God are always okay. That's a blend. And what I'm saying is that is not the movement Jesus came to usher in. He didn't come to blend it. At the end of the day, this model is all about me. I want to make sure that I'm right with God. It's got nothing to do with anyone else or even God, that God's okay. Just just between us, it's okay. But here's the problem. It leads to this question. What do I need to do to make sure that God's okay with me? What do I need to do to make sure that I've got his attention, everything's everything's cool, I've got to make him happy, make sure he's okay with me? Here's the bottom line answer to that. If you are a Christian and you've put your faith in Christ... The Bible says this, Jesus said this, his disciples said this, the early church preached and said this. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, you're okay with God, God's okay with you. End of story. Cool. Easy to say. Yeah, but do you know what I've done? Yeah. God knows what you've done. You haven't caught him by surprise. Yeah, but if you knew what I was thinking this morning, no, God's okay. You put your faith in Christ. You're okay. God's okay. No problem. We don't need to work to get there. 
Now, Jesus made some absolutely outrageous claims. And what I want to give you this morning is a couple of scriptures, maybe four or five. So we're going to actually look at the Bible here. But the reason we're going to look at the Bible is because I want to make a case. I want us to understand something. Like I say, this isn't just a message that, um, you know, it's just a fun message. It's not just a filler because I haven't got a, a series that I've got planned. This is something which I really believe can free and liberate people. But there's some portions of Scripture where Jesus spoke and sometimes where the apostles spoke and they were repeating the words of Jesus where it just becomes absolutely clear what is the, excuse me, what is the bottom line of Christianity? What is the bottom line of following Christ? What is the, what is the baseline to this thing? What is the starting point for this thing? Because so often we build on top of that and there's just, we shouldn't. That's the way we can put it bluntly. Let me read this to you, and it comes from Luke 10, verses 25 to 29. It just does carry on after that. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, which is what they always did, by asking him this question, because, you know, an expert in religious law, Jesus wasn't an expert in religious law by their standards. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't someone who had studied his whole life and done this whole thing, um, although he was speaking with people all the time, who were, and he was absolutely stumping them. So he stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That question put any other way just means teacher, rabbi, uh, whatever. Teacher, what must I do in order to be saved? What must I do in order to have salvation? What must I do in order to, at the end of my life, be okay with God? What do I need to do now, this is a, a, someone who's an expert on religious law. And Jesus answered a question with a question. He says this, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, this is interesting, because he answered so quickly, it seems. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you might not think that's an interesting answer. But if you were a Pharisee or if you were even Jewish in any way, you didn't have to be the cream of the crop Jewish guy to understand this. There were a lot of laws, like a lot, a lot, okay? Like laws on laws. There were 613 laws. Now, that's not how many God gave, but that's how many people made. And so they would, they would actually just make laws because, you know, for them it was all about clarifying things and then making sure that they, were, they and God were okay. So they would make a law or God would make a law and he said, honor the Sabbath. So they okay, okay, that's the law. Just honor the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath. Okay, hang on a second. What's work? Okay, let's define what work is. Work is when you sweat. Work is when you put hours in. Work is when you earn an income. Okay, fine. Okay, so don't work on, the, okay, but can I still walk to another town on the Sabbath? Ooh, no, that's a bit far. Oh, okay. So I can take a certain amount of steps. Yes, a certain amount of steps, but not, a, not, not that far. Okay, how many steps is okay to take? This is how many steps you can take. Okay, but what if I've used all my steps on the Sabbath and then my donkey falls in a hole? Now must I let the donkey die or can I go and do it? Okay, you can go rescue a donkey, but you can't do anything else. You know, and they would make laws around laws, around laws, around laws, just to make sure me and God still okay? All right, cool. God said this, but I'm going to make sure that I'm well within that. And so maybe the intentions were honorable, but at the end of the day, they absolutely missed the plot. They absolutely did not understand what they were doing. And to such a point that when Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath, they wanted to kill him. 
They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to kill his disciples and arrest them as well. But you're healing someone on the Sabbath. Now, who heals? Is it God or is it people? It's God. So God's working on the Sabbath. Wait a second. How does this work? This is unacceptable. We need to punish these people. So, so it, it was a very interesting thing that was happening. But anyway, so you get these 613 laws and commands that, that the Pharisees and that the Jews were trying to keep to. And then Jesus says, well, what, how do you understand the law of Moses? And he sums it up perfectly. I mean, you could not sum it up better than he summed it up. And he said this, in my paraphrase, love God, love people. Right? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. That's it. I've summed it up. And Jesus says, right. I mean, if that's not a great thing to get a right from Jesus, I don't know what is. So Jesus, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. In other words, you ask the question, what do, what do I need to do to get salvation, to get that relationship with God? And then you answered your own question, love God and love people. And Jesus said, that's exactly right. Wait a sec, do you mean that if I just love God and I love people, what about the other laws? No, no, just love God and love people. That's it. Yeah, but I've studied. I know all the laws. I know the laws that are on the laws. I can tell you them. I can recite them. I haven't broken any of them for years. I get that. Love God and love people. You want salvation. You want to be rescued. You want this. That's your question. So then... The man wanted to justify his own actions. So now he wants to now complicate his very nice and simple answer. So he asked, okay then, who's my neighbor? I mean, he, he said the thing. Love my neighbor as you love yourself. And he says, okay, okay, well, let's get specific here. Who is your neighbor? Now, to a Jewish person, he would have understood his neighbor to mean one thing. Can you, would have been another Jewish person, basically. So he's just again testing Jesus and saying, okay, well then who do you say the neighbor is? You know, because they like to make sure of these things. Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. He must have been so frustrating to talk to Jesus in some ways. It's like answering questions with questions and questions with stories. But anyway, I'm so glad he did. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, would have been a Jewish priest, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by, maybe afraid that he would also get attacked. Who knows? A temple assistant, who would have been a Jewish temple assistant, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan, different nationality, different way of doing things, came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, that story is to illustrate who your neighbor is, because that's the question that was asked. So from that answer and that story, I think we could quite safely say that your neighbor is anyone. What he was trying to tell the guy was, your neighbor isn't the Jewish guy that you know. 
Your neighbor isn't only Jewish. Your neighbor's anyone. But it wasn't just anyone. It was a despised anyone, hey? It wasn't just like some random stranger. It was actually a despised Samaritan, someone the, the Jews really looked down their noses at. So he's saying, okay, you need to change your understanding. You understood love God and love people. Now you need to understand. When you talk about your neighbor, it's everybody. And that's an incredible difference that Jesus makes. What about the other laws and commands? Now we're very clear with the Ten Commandments. Most of us know that. Most of those things are written into the laws of many countries. And uh, we say, what about those things? How can we just have love God and love people? Surely that doesn't cover everything that needs to be covered. But loving people is so critical to his message and his movement, movement that Jesus actually said this about loving God and your neighbor. He said the entire law, that's the whole Old Testament, everything they would have studied, and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, loving God and loving your neighbor. You literally can hang everything else on that, on that sentence, love God and love people. See, if you love God and you love people, all the other things are going to be natural follow-ons from that. Well, you're not going to lie to someone that you love, right? You're not going to steal from someone that you love. And so he's saying, if you can just watch those two things, everything else rests on those. Everything else in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and that was preached and taught, everything is an example of things that can hang on that. Because Jesus wasn't specific about everything, hey? I mean, the teaching of the New Testament doesn't speak to every single sin that could possibly be, but he was talking about all the examples, everything that you could hang on, love God, love people, and that's all that we need to do. Everything that's come before Jesus can hang on that one thing, love God and love people. So what's interesting is taking a look at some of those Old Testament things, some of the New Testament things that Jesus spoke about. Because there's a small difference when we look at the old way of doing things so that me and God can be okay, and we look at the new way of doing things, loving people, because that's the highest law. That's the new commandment. You know why you should tell the truth? I'm asking. You know why you should tell the truth? Many people would say, and this comes from that blended thinking, well, kind of God wrote the Bible, didn't he? And he said it's not good to lie. So the Bible says it's not good to lie, so it's not good to lie. That's why we tell the truth. Right? Simple. Well, that's one way of looking at it. But actually, the new model says we tell the truth because when you lie, you actually hurt the other person. When you lie, you violate the highest law, which is loving other people. When you lie, you're saying that the other person isn't worthy of the truth. When you lie, you protect yourself at the other person's expense. When you lie, what you're saying is, what's best for you comes after what's best for me. That's why we don't lie. Not because it's written in black and white. But there's a difference there. Maybe they have the same outcome in your life. But there's a difference. The old way says, if I tell the truth, God will love me. He'll be okay with me. Me and him will be fine. But the new way says, tell the truth because you love people. Do you know why we must be generous? 
Well, because God says we must give, right? He says in his word, he speaks about money, he says cheerful givers, uh, all these kinds of things. If you give, it'll be brought back to you. So God says we must give, so that's why we give. No, not really. When you give, when you're generous, it helps the person you're generous to. It's showing them love in a real and a practical way. That's why we're generous. Not because, the, not because the Bible or anything says be generous. It does say be generous, but that's not why we're generous. We're generous because when we're generous, we are showing love to people. Why shouldn't you gossip? Well, because the Bible says it's not a good thing to do. No, the reason you don't gossip is because it's going to hurt someone else. Because it undermines the integrity in the minds of people. That's why we don't gossip. You see, it's a, it seems like a small thing, but there is a difference in the way that we see this thing. Because either we're just going to stick to the letter of the law and make sure that me and God are okay, or we're going to say, I'm doing this because I love people. Here's the command. Here's the standard by which Jesus said we need to live. This is the new movement. Love God and love people. Well, that's why I'm not going to do this. That's why I am going to do this. Because I want to keep that not because of what's written on paper. Do you know why you shouldn't pressure your girlfriend sexually? Or because the Bible says that sexual sin is a hectic thing and you don't want to get into it and so it consequences and God's not going to love you, he's not going to enjoy that. Um, so that's, that's why we don't pressure our girlfriend sexually. No. See, when you pressure someone into doing something they don't want to do, you create regret in them. Anything. And Christians aren't people who create regret in other people. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be the, the story that they tell in their counseling session with their therapist about that guy who did this and this and this. We shouldn't be the reason for their baggage because we love them more than that. Does that make sense? Small differences, but they make a, actually a big difference and, and a world of difference to the reason we do things. You can't love your neighbor as yourself, and gossip, or lie, or be stingy, or pressure someone else sexually. Those two things do not equate. We can't say we're living God's way and we're doing this stuff. That, that doesn't work. The Jesus model, you might have noticed this, is less complicated, but it's more demanding. It's less complicated because we don't have to remember 600 laws. We just have to remember love God and love people. But it's much more demanding. Because as soon as you've got laws, you can find ways around them. Isn't that true? As soon as you've got laws, okay, it's 120 k's an hour. Okay, I'll go 128 because I know they're only going to trap me after 130. That's the way we think. Because as soon as you've got laws, well, you just make ways around them. You create other ways of doing things so that you can dodge the system. And that's okay. That's the way that we are all wired. It's, I'm not saying it's a good thing. But that's the way we lied, uh, wired. So it's, it's, it's less complicated. But man, it's more demanding. And that's what was so radically different to what the Jews of the day would have understood about God and how to please Him. Jesus' new model wasn't a blend of old and new. It was a completely new way of relating to God. So Jesus moved away from this way of thinking. What do I need to do to be okay with God? And he centered everything around this command. Love your neighbor and love God. And that's why Jesus said these words. 
this is my commandment. This is the new commandment that he brought, which is actually not a new commandment, but it, it had a different way of, of looking at it. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And then Paul, of course, speaks and he says this, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts in life for your existence on this planet, the only thing that counts is this, faith expressing itself through love. That's a big statement. The only thing, what about if I don't go to church? What about if I do this? What about if I've done all these things wrong? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Which means this, the most honoring thing you can do for God is just to love other people. Have you ever wondered how you can bless God? Did any of you wonder that, like I did this morning while we were singing, bless the Lord, O my soul. And I think, how can I bless God? And he's got everything. How can I bless him? Are my words going to bless him? What's going to bless him? You know, it's like shopping for someone who's got everything. It's just irritating. You know, what, what can you get people who have just, they can buy anything that they want. They don't have to wait. And now you must try and buy a gift for them. It's difficult. So when I come to God and I'm like, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my goodness. What are, is this blessing you? I'm not sure. Like, how do I bless you? But here's the thing. If you want to bless God, if you want to honor God more than anything else, any other possible way, you just love other people. This is where the liberation light switch comes on. You want to honor God, love other people. Other Christians, yes. Even people who aren't Christians, yes. What about people who don't like you or have done horrible stuff to you? Yeah. Love other people. Jesus went so far as to say, love your enemies. I mean, good grief. How can you get around his words? You know, like, I just, yeah, but what about that person? Maybe Jesus didn't know that they were going to do that to me. Love people. This was the new radical movement that wasn't about you need to do this in order for you and God to be okay. He said, are you a Christian? Have you accepted me as your savior? Okay, then we're okay. You don't need to do anything more to make that happen. But here's how you need to live your life on this planet. Love God, love people. You can't separate your love for God from your love for people. Anyone ever heard someone say, yo, I love God, but I hate the church, eh? Hate the people in the church. They are so difficult. They're so hypocritical. They're so narrow-minded. They're so, you know, but I love God, and me and God are cool, and, and, and you know, we'll have a session in our lounge, and everything's fine. But, uh, but man, other people can't do it. Listen, you can't separate your love for God from your love for people. It can work the other way around. You can love people and not God, but you can't love God and not people. That doesn't work. And if you're not quite convinced of that, it says this. John wrote these words. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. Because anyone who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Those two things work together. This is difficult for many of us to swallow. But can you see how central this is to the movement Jesus was launching in the first century? We have to get back to the simple heart of the gospel, which is love. The greatest indicator of how much influence Jesus has in your life is how well you love people. That is the marker for your Christianity. Personally, I'm not impressed when people have read lots of spiritual books. 
I'm not impressed when people have listened to lots of spiritual podcasts. I'm not impressed when people have fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and, uh, and they still mistreat people. You see, what you do spiritually, how much you pray, what you do, what you put into this thing, if you still don't love people, you don't get it. Because how you treat people and how you love people is the barometer of your Christianity. Not anything else that you could do. That's the mark of true spirituality. Your devotion to God is demonstrated by your love for others. This is radical. There isn't a religion on the planet like this. This is it. This is what God came to say, is that this way of doing things, you don't need to please me. You and me are okay. This is how you're to live your life. I want to read one more passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to close up. Because Jesus was teaching one day, and he's speaking, and he just says this again in such a clear way. You can't deny it. I mean, these are the words of Jesus. You can deny it, but then you need to deny the Bible. And that's okay if you do deny the Bible. But can I, can I tell you this? Even if you are not a Christian, follow the stuff. Love people. Your life will be better for it. But as Christians, we really have to do the stuff. And it's incredible how liberating it is. Matthew 25, 31 to 36. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, this is Jesus speaking, and He's speaking about Himself. The Son of Man, is Jesus, comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him will sit Sorry, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king himself will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And you can just imagine this massive group of people. I don't know, nations of the earth. We're probably talking about a lot of people. And, uh, and they're standing there and Jesus is saying, well done. Here you go. You were there. You fed me. You clothed me. And you can just imagine them saying, uh-oh, I'm in the wrong line. I didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't clothe him. I never gave Jesus a drink. I never offered him into my house. What is he talking about? And then it goes on. He says this, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's a powerful story because it highlights again Jesus' priorities. Whatever you do for the least of these, you did it for me directly. The rest of that story that Jesus tells is horrible. It's horrible because then he speaks to the other group of people. But it's so clear. This movement that Jesus came to usher in, what it was about, it was totally new. It's the only reason Christianity has survived for this long, is because of what we're about and how we do what we do. You actually love God 
by loving your neighbor. Think about this. What if it is that simple? What if your Christianity is just that simple? What if it's not about doing things? What if it's not about getting everything right? What if it's not about always trying to achieve something, always trying to get back into God's good books? What if it's that simple that it's all actually about loving God and loving your neighbor? What if we started to do that? What if two or three hundred people in Crawford started to love people like Jesus said we could love people? Can you imagine the difference in every single family? Can you imagine the difference in your schools or in your workplace as you deal with colleagues in a completely different way? Can you imagine the difference in this community as leaders work like this? I'm talking about us. Because this is what we're called to. To love God and to love people. 